Thank you for being here this morning. We are glad that you are, you are here with us. And this morning we want to share with you a story. And as with all good stories, this story has three primary parts or acts, okay? In act one, there's an introduction to the characters. There's some rising tension, some things that, uh, that, that are in conflict or trouble and suspense that builds a little bit. And then in act two, the trouble gets to its most intense moment, the moment of greatest tension or the climax of the story. And then in act three, things start to come together and a sort of resolution is reached. There's a new normal in the lives of the people who are involved in this story. And all really good stories share these three parts. They, they do that and they want to draw you into the story as well. They want to include you in the adventure. Now it's true that that your journey may not be exactly like the stories that you hear this morning. They might not be the same as the characters that we're gonna share with you today, but there are usually some very common elements in good stories that you can relate to so that you can feel like you're a part of the action, part of what's going on, that you're not just along for the ride, but that in, in some sense you're actually part of what's taking place in the story. You can understand some of the conflict, some of the tension that builds as the story progresses, and so you get involved in the storyline. Maybe you've got a favorite book or a favorite movie that you feel like you connect with because there's some part of that storyline that you relate to. It's part of your own story, and while the details may be grandiose in the movie, yet you relate to the tension, the conflict, the difficulty of that story. My wife and I are currently watching a program in which a woman, Lucy, participates in this time-traveling expedition where she arrives back in the present to realize that some of her actions in the past changed the present so that her best friend and sister never existed. And so she starts to try to figure out ways to get that person back. Now, none of us have ever experienced that. None of us have ever done any time-traveling. I don't think. If you, if you have, don't tell me. I don't really want to know about it. I'd rather continue in, in my bliss, by blissful ignorance, but none of us have ever, have ever done that. But probably there are people or things in your life that you've lost that you wish you could go back and, and get back for yourself. And if you had a time machine, you'd probably go back and you'd try to retrieve those things. Maybe for you it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Everything seemed to be going fine. And then suddenly there was an issue. It caused conflict between you and a friend, you and a sibling, you and your mom or your dad. And now you don't speak and you wish you could travel back in time and you could fix things. And so the stories that we love, the stories that we enjoy, they bring us along for the ride. And the stories that we want to share with you today, they're going to do the same thing, hopefully. Hopefully, as we go along, you're going to recognize yourself, your own story, and some of the conflict and in some of the tension. You might not relate to our main character, Krista. You might not relate to her story exactly. Maybe your search for significance or your search for meaning has taken a few different turns than hers took, but we all search for meaning. And so you can relate to her story in at least that way. And in the end, you'll see that it's not just Krista's story that we want to share with you at all. In fact, Krista's story fits into a much larger story. It's not just Krista who was looking for meaning, but actually her story fits into the larger story of God's search for humanity. Now our stories aren't as different as, and separate as we might sometimes imagine uh, we have a lot of different details and a lot of different components, but people often look up 
from the busyness of their lives, from the distractions of their pursuits to realize that they're chasing things that aren't satisfying them. And they wonder what the point is and what's the meaning of it all. Or maybe you've wondered in your own life about truth and objectivity. And often our attempts to find fulfillment actually lead us further from it and we feel caught in a sort of cycle of searching and then returning to the things that are comfortable but we know won't help because we've already tried them. And for some people, this cycle looks like throwing themselves into academics or work. Others search for fulfillment in in arts or sports. Some get caught up in the obvious negative cycles of addiction or relationship breakdown. Still others will look for fulfillment in spiritual places, turning to people who claim to be experts or sound authoritative in what they say about the meaning of life, or they employ some kind of eclectic assortment of spiritual or religious practices in their life that they feel gives them some kind of grounded feeling or or, or helps them to find some kind of meaning, but Over and over again, maybe you've ended up in the same place going, I don't think this is working. This doesn't seem to be providing any real purpose, any ultimate goal, any final meaning for my life. So maybe this morning you'll be able to relate to the stories that we share with you. We want to start that this morning by letting you in on the story of Krista and sharing with you that search for meaning that she had going on in her life. Take a look at the beginning of Krista's story. So how are you doing today? <laughs> from uh, Netherlands, is that where he's from? He's from My name is Krista Brelsford and this is my testimony. The year is September 1972, and I was recently uh, in the panhandle of Florida, getting ready to enter Florida State University, and my parents were in the process of driving me over to college. Year before, I'd been up in Ohio where we had lived together as a family for about eight years as my dad was a pilot in the Air Force. And then when he retired and went civil service, Um, they asked him to transfer to Eglin Air Force Base, which is where we moved. So we were going to Florida State, and my parents brought me to a large dorm on campus. It was a very different environment than any place I'd ever been. Uh, You know, there's Spanish moss hanging down from trees, people had southern accents, people were eating things like grits, and it was just a whole new culture. So they dropped me off, and I went into the dorm and met my uh, roommate, who I'd uh, never seen before, and that was my official entry into college. So life during that time in the 70s, especially 72, the Vietnam War was being demonstrated against everywhere. Feminism had um, begun and women were up in arms and doing demonstrations about their equal rights. There were big signs everywhere of groups promoting peace and love, and everywhere you looked, there were um, signs of not respecting authority, of challenging the government, of challenging the establishment, of doing your own thing, of being free, of being free of all rules and regulations. The only thing that was expected of you was to attend classes and to do well so that you can graduate. That was expected of you, so there was a lot of freedom. And I was very overwhelmed by it all, being raised in the Air Force, 
Um, there was a lot of control in my home and I was expected to obey no matter what. Um, I really didn't think about it because it was just the way it had always been. I went to campus and started going to classes. Um, I met many different types of people. And looking back, there was a heavy influence of, um, you know, a spiritually darkness that was, I think, invading the campuses and challenging the um, the lightness or the rules that were were good for people to live by. You know, I had been raised in the Episcopal Church and had heard about God as a child, but didn't know Him personally. So, but there was a comfort in at least knowing that there was a God, and I did believe in Him. I just didn't know him personally. So when I got to class or when I got to campus, I found a job off campus at a local dairy bar. And I don't know how I got to and from there, but I know a few times at least I hitched um, and was on the road hitchhiking to and from work. So when I got there, I met several people from college, but also there was a young man there, a little bit older than me. And he was talking to me about this guru named Maharaji. And, you know, it was intriguing to me because he was talking about this person that, that knew about life, that had answers to life for me. You know, I wanted to know more. I believed in God, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. I met a nice young man in one of my classes named Tom. And social work class had ended and Tom was walking me uh, back to my dorm. And as we walked across the green towards my dorm, uh, suddenly the man from the Dairy Dream, who was the representative or disciple of Guru Maharaji, was walking directly towards us. And I was shocked. So our paths crossed, um, there was no way of avoiding it. And it was actually what God intended because when our paths met and I introduced Tom, he asked me that the Maharaji was in town that day and there was a special meeting going on and he was going to give a word of knowledge out that would change my life. And so I said, sure, you know, that sounded good. And then we parted ways and Tom and I stood there and he started talking to me about Christianity and asked me more about my faith. Somehow by the end of the conversation, Tom asked me if I would be interested in attending a woman's Bible study off campus that very night. And I agreed to go. Suddenly I lost all interest in Guru Maharaji and I wanted to find out more about what Tom had been talking about, that I decided to go. Perhaps you can relate to Krista's search, their search for meaning, trying to figure out, especially when she was young, which way her life should go, having been formed in her early days by her family, and then all the new ideas of college presented to her, and all the turmoil of her culture at the time, which we can certainly relate to in our culture, and all of that came together to form a sort of, a sort of, a sort of troubling time where she's looking for what do I do with my life? What is the purpose or the direction that I need to take? And maybe you can relate to that. Thankfully though, in the midst of those troubling times, we're not the only ones who are searching. We may sometimes feel like we're looking in the dark, we're trying to feel our way forward, just kind of trying to find out what is the way that I should go, what should I do next in my life, and, and yet since that we're not really making any progress, that maybe we've just fallen back into the same old confusion or doubt or fear. Sometimes we can recognize that it's our own pride or foolishness or weakness that keeps us stuck. 
Sometimes we can't seem to put a finger on what we feel brings confusion. It's as if there are external forces that are all at work to bring doubt and fear into our lives. But that wasn't God's intent for you. He created men and women to be part of his family, to know him, and to know our own significance through relationship with him. But because of sin in our lives and in the rest of the world and rebellion against God, all people were separated from him and cut off from a life of meaning and clarity and significance that we were supposed to have through that relationship with him. And so we find ourselves fumbling about in the dark, trying to find our way, but constantly falling back into the trap of our own shortcomings, our own failures, and our own rebellion. However, while we might be stumbling around in the dark, trying to find our way, God knew exactly what we needed. And at the right time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, into the world to bring light into our situations. In fact, he is light and life. His follower and friend, John, wrote this about him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, the very light and glory of God, came to dwell among us to save us from our feeble attempts to find meaning, to create our own kind of truth with our own resources, and he shines the light of the truth, the light of God in our lives and in the world and in circumstances so that we don't have to fumble around in the dark any longer. You may feel like you're looking for something in the dark. Jesus came to illuminate the dark and to find you. Listen to how this happened in Christ's life. So after we talked for a few more minutes, Tom explained that there was a young lady and she would um, come by my dorm around 6 p.m. and pick me up. So that happened and I got to the apartment and there was about half a dozen women sitting around talking. And uh, they talked about the Bible. Well, first, um, the young lady, her name was Lindsay. Uh, she picked up her guitar and they were singing songs and they're just very pleasant sounding songs. and. Then they went into the Bible study and they were talking about scripture and I just sat there and listened and suddenly they were talking about angels and then about demons and I stopped and I asked a question. I said, well, what is a demon? And when they explained what a demon was to me, I didn't say anything, but the fear of God came over me so strongly because I realized I had been dabbling in the occult in um, the spiritual life of demons and fallen angels. And, you know, I've been in high school even going with astrology and uh, Ouija boards and, you know, just trying to find a more deeper meaning to life. So when they explained what, demon, what a demon was, I just was panic stricken. So when we left the Bible study that night and I got out and as I walked back to the dorm, I suddenly could not go back inside. And I walked back out onto the green and there was a large old oak tree. And I knelt down at the oak tree and all I said was, Lord, I don't understand what is happening here, but whatever it is, I want it. 
and immediately it felt like a a bucket was turned over on my head full of emotional love pouring down from the top of my head down through my knees through my whole body while I was kneeling there at the tree I'd never experienced anything like that in my life and at that moment I knew God had touched me and something special had happened and a new presence and peace was inside of me Amen Maybe you felt a bit stuck in your life. Maybe you felt stuck in confusion about what to do and maybe which route, which means, which directions you ought to pursue with your life. Maybe you felt stuck in your own sin or your own failure or maybe even in something darker. Krista talked about how she had dabbled in the occult and what some people think of as innocent spiritual practices like uh, astrology, her horoscope, a Ouija board. These things are counterfeit to God's ways, his, his commands and his purposes for us, for, for your life. Maybe you've done the same. Maybe you've gotten mixed up in various kinds of spiritual practices that people told you they'd bring some kind of enlightenment or clarity to your life, and you wanted to see if these things would be effective or could at least lend some kind of meaning or, or a semblance of direction to your pursuit of purpose. Or maybe you weren't mixed up in that kind of stuff, but you were fighting other kinds of demons. You were fighting hurt from your past or impulses of brokenness from your past or addiction. Or it could be that you've just been living according to your own plans without giving much thought to God at all or to life after death or what your purpose in the world might be. And in any case, because we're separated from God on account of our sin, we all end up kind of groveling through the dark, trying to figure out what we ought to do, trying to find a way out, stuck in a tangle of our own sin and the sins of other people and how they've hurt us and our confusion over what to do and what other people tell us we want to, we should do or, or what the world is telling us we should do and our desire for freedom but our inclination to return to the things that we know have hurt us and enslaved us. And so our search for purpose continues. And in Krista's story, that search came to a culmination with what you might describe as a happy coincidence as she was walking across campus one day, but it really wasn't a coincidence at all. I said earlier that we're not alone in this search, that God is searching. In fact, he's searching when we're running away. He was searching for Krista that day, and today he's searching for you. He was searching for Krista when she was busy searching for, for, for meaning through things like a guru and, and, and other kinds of spiritual and mystical religion. He was still searching for her. And today, he's searching for you. It's not that he doesn't know where you're at. That's not the problem. What I mean is that he's drawing your attention to himself and, and how he wants to bring you out of the darkness you're in through his son, Jesus. This is how Jesus described why he was here. He said that he came to seek and to save the lost. God searches for those who are lost. He's looking for you. And lost isn't a category of judgment as if, you know, those of us who, who have a testimony of coming to know Jesus now look at, with judgment on others who are lost. Lost is a category of all people before they know the Lord. It's the story of each one of us. We were lost. If you've come to know Jesus, you've been found, but maybe you've not. Maybe you are still lost and you feel stuck and confused and, 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 and directionless. 
Again, it's not because God doesn't know where you are that he's searching for you, but because you don't know where you are. And worse, you don't know who you are or his intention for you. That's why God is searching. And in her story, Krista relayed a moment when she felt what she described as the fear of the Lord. And I think it's important that we would think about this for just a moment to help us understand the seriousness of our own situations. Maybe you've thought of God or religion or spirituality as something you could add onto your life to kind of help you out a little bit, a little self-help book or something like that. It's like an optional upgrade or a bonus buy or something like that. Would you like to supersize this meal? And you feel like it's, it's just something to add on to your life, but that's not the case. Since God created you, to reject him isn't like saying no to the shine and polish upgrade at the car wash. It's not like saying no to a little bit of extra happiness. That's not what it means to reject Jesus. Rather, to reject God is to reject purpose and meaning and life itself, since he is your creator and the author of your life. To rebel against him through sin and denying him is an offense to his glory, and it puts you at odds with him. We make ourselves his enemies by working against his purposes as if he's not really there or it's not really a big deal or as if he won't really do anything about it if I oppose him. Now, because God loves you, he gives you that choice. He gives you that opportunity. But we shouldn't think that that choice is without consequence. The choice to accept his gift or to reject it is not without consequence. If you rebel against God, your creator, what can you expect except purposelessness, meaninglessness, and a life that dissolves into futility? And the ultimate futility is death, isn't it? I mean, isn't death the the ultimate kind of futility that it puts an end to everything? Even if you feel like you found some meaning in your life, that you found a cause or a purpose, death puts an end to it. And eventually no one will remember you. Eventually, no one will care what you did. Eventually, your name will be lost. God's word teaches us that the wages of our sin is death. To live and make decisions ignorant of God and his ways brings the ultimate futility to our lives. No one can escape it. It comes for the best and it comes for the worst of us. But there's some good news here. You see, God is love and because he is love, He loves us and he searched for us. He loves you and he is searching for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to search and to find you. And Jesus described his purpose in the world in this famous statement. Maybe you've heard it before. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to that for a moment. That whoever believes in him, their life will not descend into futility, the futility of ultimate death and purposelessness, but they will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's desire for you is not that you would be condemned for your sin and your rebellion against him, but that you could be saved from it and from the consequence that you deserve, separation from him and death. Now again, he loves you, so he doesn't force you to trust him, but he did demonstrate his love in a remarkable way. When we were utterly helpless, 
Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God loved you that much, that he sent Jesus to die for you. But he didn't just die. Today is Easter, which means that we're celebrating that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead to demonstrate that our sin had been paid for and that he had conquered death. And now, if we'll have faith in him, that is, if we trust him with our lives, we're saved and we're made new. Listen to what happened in Krista's life after she confessed faith in Jesus, how her life was made new and she became a new creation. So after that experience under the tree, I talked with Tom and he invited me to a campus interdenominational fellowship group and those fellowship meetings were like a breath of fresh air for me. You know, there was probably over a hundred students that would gather on a weekly basis, um, bringing their guitars and flutes and tambourines, and we would sit around on the floor singing songs. And, and I was hearing about Jesus for the first time, you know, knowing him personally. And so the leader of the group was named Hal Schendel, and he was a college professor that had also come to know Christ. So, you know, he was probably 20 years our senior, which we needed an older person in our lives to um, provide the guidance and direction that we needed. And so after our singing, he would also often give a message. So we did that on a weekly basis, and then we had Bible studies at different um, people's homes and apartments or college dorms. And that was my life um, through the rest of that semester. Easter Sunday came, 1973, and there were many of us who had never been baptized. And so on that Sunday, we all went down to the Tallahassee Lake, and it was a bright, beautiful, sunny day, and we went into the lake one by one, and Hal was there, and he, I remember vividly him putting his hand on my forehead, and putting me down under the water, and then I came up, a new creature in Christ, and it was awesome. And we had a big picnic afterwards with all the, the new baptism, and, um, and celebrated that day. After my baptism in Tallahassee Lake, I continued living in the dorm, but I had a new family, um, a family of friends, that provided the fellowship, the guidance, the direction that I needed. They taught me how to study God's word, and I realized that when I had questions and I needed answers, I could go to God's Word and find the answers that I was looking for. In my childhood, I had been raised with my parents telling me, Krista, we always trust you to make the right decision. But what in the world did that mean? I mean, I knew how to make my bed, but when you get older and there are moral choices to make in life or spiritual choices, you need somebody's guidance and wisdom, and I didn't have that. So I welcomed this new body of believers and this new life that I was in. You know, looking back, 1973 was a 
time of huge political unrest and upheaval in the nation. Everywhere people were looking for answers and wondering what was a real meaning to life. As I lived through that time, I was so grateful that I had found the true answer to life, the author of life, the author of who love was, and the author of where peace came from. And that is what gave me the courage to keep going on, not looking back, knowing that there was nothing else the world could offer me that I needed. And I knew that Jesus was the answer that I'd been looking for. And what had begun for me in the panhandle of Florida was spreading all over the country for on college campuses, in churches, everywhere. And young people, you know, I was, in, I was 20 years old, young people were coming to Christ and sharing the love of Jesus with their parents, which was so beautiful. But um, I love God for what he did in my life and I will always continue following him. Amen. After Krista trusted Jesus, her life changed dramatically. It wasn't just the outer circumstances that changed, but her understanding of life and how to make decisions, her purpose, and her own understanding of, of her value and, and what it meant to know God changed. She was baptized, the symbol that her old life was dead, and now she was a new creation, a new person. And that's what happens when you trust Jesus. You're not, you're not buying into a self-help philosophy that adds a little something. You're, you're not saying, oh, I, I believe there is a meaning. You are trusting the meaning of life. You don't find a meaning. You're not finding a cause. You are understanding the meaning, the one who created you and who loved you at the cost of his son. That's salvation. You see the love of God in Jesus through him, recognize how far you've been from God. And so you confess your sin, your need for him, and you believe in him. And when that happens, the Bible says that you are made new. It says it this way at 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now maybe you're asking yourself, how does believing in Jesus make someone new? And that's a good question. Perhaps reading a bit further in this same passage from the Bible can help us. It says this, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus Christ, who never sinned, died like we should have, like I should have, like you should have, crucified for things that he didn't do not only in the sense that he was accused of crimes he didn't commit, which is true, but also in that God the Father sent him to take the wages, the consequences of our sin. And when he died, our sin was paid for. And since sin was covered, God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and made trust in Jesus, faith in Christ, the way to be right with God again. And when you have faith in Jesus, you're not just saying that you think that it, Jesus actually died, but that he died 
for you. When you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you're, you're believing that you have life through what he did. So believing in Jesus isn't exactly the same as believing that matter is made up of molecules or that snow leopards exist even though you've never seen one with your own eyes or that Abraham Lincoln was shot by John Wilkes Booth even though you weren't there. It's not quite the same thing. There's a part of that. You have to believe it actually happened, that Jesus actually died, that God raised him from the dead. But because Jesus became human to bear your sin, joining you in death, believing in him doesn't just mean you think he did it, but it actually means something more like joining him in his death and therefore joining him in his resurrection. Like Krista said, when she was baptized, she died to her old self. And when she came up, she came up a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Through Jesus, you can be raised up spiritually. Your sin will be forgiven. You'll be reconciled to God. Your inner person will be made new. And for Christians, celebrating Easter is you know, it's not about spring. It's not about bunnies or tulips or chocolate. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all like those things. Those are nice things. But Easter for Christians is the celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And because we believe in him, it's the celebration of our resurrection as well. It's the celebration of God's forgiveness and his love. It's the celebration of being made new from the inside out, of being reconciled with God and of new life through Christ, we were dead in our sin, we were dead in our rebellion, we were dead in the darkness of our search for meaning, but Jesus came and he sought us out. He came to rescue those who were lost, and he found us, and by faith in him, we've been made alive in Christ. And now, I'm appealing to you. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, if you are in the midst of that search, filled with the turmoil and the conflict of our culture, the, the lack of resolution in your own heart because you see what's going on around you and you don't know what way to go, your opinion changes as quickly as the videos on your TikTok feed or on your YouTube feed as one person tries to convince you of this and another person tries to convince you of that and you're looking, you're searching, you're trying to figure it out or maybe you're stuck in the darkness of the addictions of your past and while you'd like to be free, you've never been able to free yourself of those things today, this morning, I'm appealing to you to come back to God as well. He's done everything that's needed to forgive you of your sin and to make you right with him. He's done everything needed to cleanse you of your guilt and your shame and to restore you to what he always meant you to be, to cleanse your guilty conscience, to make you new in Christ. He's done everything needed through his son, Jesus. And that's how your story intertwines with Christus. And it's, it's how your story can and hopefully will today intertwine with the story of Jesus. Krista was searching for meaning, but God was searching for Krista. And he's seeking you as well. He sought you through his son, and now he's making an appeal to you to be reconciled with him by faith in Jesus. And when you trust Jesus, your story gets wrapped up in his story. His death for sin becomes your death to sin and your old life and his resurrection becomes your new creation and the guarantee of eternal life with him. This morning, I appeal to you to recognize your need for forgiveness and your restoration to God. And if your story is one of seeking 
know that God sought you first. If your story is one of shame, know that Jesus bore your shame when he died on the cross. If your story is one of guilt, believe that Jesus paid for your guilt when he died. Come back to God through faith in Jesus. Trust your story to him today. Entrust your life to God today because Jesus' story is enough to cover yours. It's enough to cover your search. It's enough to cover your sin. It's enough to cover your shame. It's enough to make you right with God again. And so I want to ask you the same question that we started out this service with. The same question that angels asked women on the first Easter Sunday. Why are you looking for life among dead things? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you constantly in your life going back to dark things in a search for purpose and meaning, things that you know have driven you in circles in your life, things that you know have never been able to set you free, things that you know have never been able to provide purpose or meaning, things that you know have never provided direction, things that have never given you an assurance that there's something more to your life than the run around the world has been giving you up to this point. Why do you keep going back to those things? Let me just ask you, why are you looking for life among dead things when God has provided you, through his son Jesus, real, eternal life. This morning he makes his appeal to you. If you're searching, if you're lost, if you're looking, the good news for you this morning is not that you've found something. Not at all. The good news for you this morning is that God has been searching for you and he's found you through his son Jesus. And if you by faith will believe and receive what Christ has done, you will be saved. Jesus is alive. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you'll believe in him today, confessing your sin and entrusting your life to him, you'll be saved. You will be a new creation. And so this is what I want to do this morning. Would you stand with me, congregation? And the, the choir is going to lead us in one final song today about a testimony we have in Jesus Christ, about how we have a testimony of being brought from death into life. And if this is already your story, I want to encourage you to sing it. But if it's not your story, there are some pastors, and I'm going to ask a couple of pastors to come forward right now, and these pastors are going to be here as we sing. If this is not your story, would you come down as we sing, and would you Talk to one of these pastors and, and let them pray with you. If you want to find, find real relationship with God, find real meaning, then would you just take a step of faith and say, Lord, today this is not about embarrassment or shame, but it is about finding forgiveness and knowing the hope of Jesus and, and trusting that he has found you today. If that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, then as we sing would you just make your way forward and find one of these pastors to pray with you? We have some prayer partners. If you're here and you see more people than there are pastors who come, who come forward, you can come down and join them too at that point. But we want to give you an opportunity to respond. Why are you looking for life among dead things? Will you today give up the search for, for life among things that only bring death? Will you today instead confess your sin and believe in Jesus, trusting him, entrusting your life to him, and know that he will save you as you put your faith in him. As we sing, don't hesitate, come forward and give your life to Christ, believing on him, and he will make you a new creation.